This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. Hi, folks. Now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mitchell Lawrence. And like I said, one of the many great things that I am thankful for this year as you know, we look ahead to Thanksgiving is the friendship that I've been blessed to develop with Mitch and his brother Matthew this year. They become two of my favorite all-time people, not only as guests on the show, but just for as people, as a matter of fact. And let me remind you a little bit about Mitchell's background. He's an actor turned golf show host. You've seen Mitch in shows and movies like Santa Barbara, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, One Tree Hill, which my family has been watch, binge watching now, Dawson's Creek, From the Earth to the Moon, one of my all-time favorite miniseries that was out on HBO. He's been in Mat- in Matlock, In the Heat of the Night, In Living Color, Dragnet, MacGyver, Night Court. I could go on and on and on about all the great things that Matthew has done as an actor. He's now co-hosting a fantastic golf podcast called Talking Golf Getaways with Mitch and Darren, which I highly recommend all our listeners go please go check it out by going to thegolfnewsnet.com or over on audio boom as well and i am thrilled that mitch is back with me again tonight here on next on the t good evening mitch thanks for coming back on the show my friend hi chris it's uh obviously it's a pleasure to be back on again and thanks for all the kind words you're you are always so beyond kind that it, it kind of blows me away i'm really happy to be here thanks I appreciate that. Thank you, Mitchell. So, Mitch, before we talk golf, and, and you know I had you know, your brother Matthew on the show last week, and he and I, we talked about what led up to his decision to leave L.A. and leave acting behind and move on to, you know, what he's doing now in radio. I'm curious, what did it for you? What made you say to acting in L.A., you know what, I'm done? Um, I think it was a combination of things. I had been there for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, had been really successful, done a lot of work. Uh, when I moved there in 1980 from New York, it was a paradise to me. I loved the, the fact that you could drive a car everywhere. I loved the trees. I loved being out in the open air as opposed to Manhattan, uh, where I'd lived for the five years before I went out. And, uh, but as time went on and I kind of got further into the career in LA life by the early nineties, uh, that had turned around. I was, getting tired of the process of acting, of uh, auditioning, of driving around everywhere for the auditions and traffic and smog. You know, when you don't, when you're not really into being anywhere, I don't care what business you're in, the the things that you're not crazy about start to be, ma- they're magnified. And then you, you kind of get to a place where you realize it's time for a different chapter and a change. And um, I kind of owe the move to golf. Um, I had started playing, I never picked up a club before 1980 when I went out to LA, started playing, as you know, got heavily involved all during the 80s and um, the early 90s when I was in LA. And during the course of that time, I was really fortunate enough to be able to play in a lot of celebrity charity events around the country. And I had started to, in probably 82 or 83, play in a number of events in the Carolinas where I had never been before. And I slowly started falling in love with the Carolinas. Uh, growing up in New York, it wasn't ever on my radar, but certainly the more I played there, the more I liked it. Um, and I made a number of friends, uh, one in particular in the Charlotte area through these golf tournaments. And when I started kind of thinking about moving, uh, he said to me one day, why don't you just come to Charlotte? 
uh, I'm on the road a lot. He was in a business where he was gone a lot. He said, you can just stay at my house, see if you like it. And if you don't, you can go back. And so I decided to give it a try. Uh, I moved to Charlotte. I had an acting agent uh, in Charlotte by the time I got there. They were doing a lot of filming in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, as it turned out, I wound up working and acting more in living in Charlotte than I did than most of my friends in L.A. I was doing a lot of work. Matlock moved to Wilmington, and I was doing a lot of TV movies. And so that part of my life, the acting part, continued. But I was able to live and work in a place that I really love. And um, that's kind of the long, long story of how I got to Myrtle Beach. But that's really what was responsible for the move. And uh, it, was, it was the best move I ever made, I think, for my own well-being. So continue on that journey, Mitch. So how, how did you go from you're, now you're acting in Charlotte and you're doing those sorts of things and you, you know, you've been playing the game for a little while. How did that transition into you know, doing the, you know, the show that you do, you do now, Talking Golf Getaways, and really getting you know, into golf, not only playing it, but now being a part of it and doing the podcast that you do? Well, one of the things that started once I moved to Charlotte, I had become friendly with uh, a guy named Paul Himmels back in Myrtle Beach when I moved to uh, Charlotte. I had actually played in a golf tournament at the Dunes Club in Myrtle Beach while I was still living in L.A. And uh, Dunes Club, for those of your listeners that don't know it, is a really iconic golf course. It was built, um, it was a really, really early course in Myrtle Beach, and it was designed by Robert Trent Jones. Um, in the, in the mid 1900s, um, I'm pretty sure it was around 1948. He came down here and he wound up building the Dunes Club. Uh, it's a great, great golf course, but there was a party that night. This event was played at the Dunes Club and I met a guy at the, the party and we wound up talking for three hours. We got to be really good friends as golfers want to do. You're thrown into a connection with people that you never expect. I went back to L.A., and then when I moved to Charlotte, I got back in touch with him, told him I was in Charlotte, and we I came down to Myrtle Beach a lot to see him, and uh, after a while, he called me one day uh, when I had moved down to Myrtle Beach, actually kind of on the cusp of moving down here, and he said to me, I'm thinking of purchasing a lease on a 24-hour golf channel in Myrtle Beach, and I want to know if you want to host it, and I thought, yeah, sure. <laughs> So I came down to Myrtle Beach, uh, and I would come down for a week or two at a time. And it started out with he and I going around to these golf courses and doing a segment on a par three. And that show, which was called On the Green, um, kind of took off. And I wound up covering pretty much doing every golf course at the time. It was about 100 golf courses in Myrtle Beach. And slowly, Paul dropped out of that, and I wound up hosting it myself. And uh, that ran for about 20 years. Uh, I moved down to Myrtle Beach in 99 so I could really devote more time to that. Brought my wife, Ava, and my uh, stepdaughter, Nikki, and the three of us came down. And um, over that time, and the golf was obviously becoming a much bigger part of my life, I wound up doing a lot of infomercial hosting and Beyond the Green show. And it was just uh, my – I was acting at the same time, but the golf stuff was really – kind of taking off. And then I got to a point where I met other people through the game, uh, one of them being Darren Bunch, who at the time was with Fairways and Greens magazine out west. 
a very well-known golf magazine, which turned into Golf Getaways magazine. And Darren and I got to be fast friends. And uh, I guess about five years ago here in Myrtle Beach, I started doing my own podcast, much like what you're doing now, where I would just have guests, guests on and interview them. And over the course of three or four years, I got to just through connections I had made on uh, on the celebrity golf circuit, um, I got to have really an unbelievable guest list uh, that flipped me out and still flips me out when I look at who I had on and through that kind of transferred to Darren and I deciding we wanted to do a show about golf and travel. And to my knowledge, it's still the only podcast talking golf getaways, which we did. We started a year ago. Uh, that's solely devoted to golf and travel and destinations and lifestyle uh, anywhere. I don't know of anybody else who does shows only about that. Obviously people devote time on other podcasts to talking about a trip here and there. But ours is really only about that, and we've been doing it a year. We just started season two, and that's our 79th episode. And so uh, we've got a lot more coming that way. But that's kind of the short story of how all this came to Talking Golf Getaways. And Mitch, you know, as you mentioned, you're you're kicking off season two, and you're doing it in, in grand style. Now, you and Darren recently talked to Adam Ralston. For folks who aren't aren't familiar with who Adam is, he took a journey called the Longest Hole, which was a a trek that he made across Mongolia. Do you mind sharing some of the highlights of the conversation that you guys had with Adam? <laughs> well, uh, it started uh, months ago because Adam uh, and his good friend and caddy, for want of a better word, Ron Rutland, both of them rugby players. Um, and I won't get into that story. We had interviewed Adam halfway across Mongolia. Um, Darren actually met Ron uh, on a golf trip to Northern Ireland. And I think they were at Port Stewart. And Ron, who's from South Africa, but now living in Hong Kong, but travels all over the world. And he's got a, a foreign membership to Port Stewart. And he wound up playing with Darren one day. And they were talking and Darren was telling him what he did. And he said to Adam, what are you doing? And Adam said, well, I was a rugby player and I did this and that, but we're in preparation, my friend Ron and I, to uh, go across Mongolia and I'll be hitting golf balls across Mongolia and Ron will be pulling a cart with equipment. And Darren kind of looked at him and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> Which is what <laughs> you and I probably would say right off the bat. Right. And uh, Adam kind of got into it and, and the 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 first episode that we did with him was literally from a hotel halfway across Mongolia. And uh, it was fascinating. It was really unbelievable to talk about all the different preparations and what it took to do just to get started and then to deal with the first half of the journey. The ultimate journey was um, about, uh, well, it was 2011 kilometers. Uh, so about, let's say, 1,200 miles. Um, and the first half was a fantastic episode. And then we said, we hope we can have you back when you're done. And the season two episode that we just posted uh, a few days ago is Adam's recap of the second half of the journey, uh, kind of what he took away from it after a month, after it was over for a month and he had a little time to reflect. Um, and I can only say, I told you this um, in a conversation you and I had, of, of all the podcasts that I've done, and there's a few hundred of them now, and we've done, we had done 78 Talking Golf Getaways podcasts. 
But all in all, the 40 minutes that Adam was on that we just opened with might be my, I won't say it's my favorite. I've had a lot of great guests, but I think it was the most moving, inspirational, emotional podcast that I have done. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's for these two guys and their dog. A dog joined them a couple days into the trip, a Mongolian dog, and literally was with them the entire way, followed them the entire way across Mongolia, slept under the cart that Ron was pulling. And the stories about the three of them and the people they met and the villages they were in and uh, the whole thing is just the greatest golf getaway that I've ever heard of and probably will ever hear of. I don't think anybody will do anything like what Adam and Ron and you be the dog did. And um, I hope people listen to it. It's, it's, it's got golf at its core, but it's about so much more. It's about, it's just a, an amazing life journey. And um, it was a great kickoff to season two of talking golf getaways. I'll tell you that. No <laughs> doubt. What, what an amazing yeah. thing that they did. So yeah. Uh, I can't I can't recommend highly enough to take a listen to what the stories were like and the journey that they went through. And yeah, Mitch, and I might add because you know, I noticed at the beginning of the show, Chris, that you're very tied into the charity aspect of what you do and giving back. Um, and part of what Adam and Ron did was that this walk raised money for something called the Laureus uh, Foundation, which is in South Africa, and it's uh, Laureus, the Foundation for Sport and Good. Um, and also the South African Golf Development Board. And uh, along the way, they brought a lot of attention to those two great uh, charities, too. So there was that element to it, too. I just wanted to throw that in. No, no, that's fantastic. Good for you. Thanks for doing that. So I, I wanted to continue on with what you're doing, you know, with the with season two. I was listening the other day, and uh, you, you and Darren were talking to Sean Ogle, who was uh, of Breaking80.com. And the first topic... Mm-hmm. Darren brought up, and you're a proponent of this, speaking of the dog taking this journey, is the idea that we should all be able to bring our dogs, or the animal of your choice, out on the golf course with us, like they do at St. Andrews. So I was curious, as you mentioned, the dogs you know, coming apart, being, becoming a part of that journey, to get your thoughts on animals out on the golf course. Well, uh, uh, when you say the animal of your choice, that may be taking it a step too far. <laughs> <laughs> because there's some crazy people and there's some crazy animals and I'm not always sure that would be fun on the golf course. But that being said, um, dogs have somehow, they played a part in my life in golf. Um, the, the biggest example of that being my wife and I being in Charlotte, living there, going out to play golf one day um, and playing at a place called Charlotte Golf Links on a Thursday afternoon. And playing six holes, and I was playing great, and we got to the seventh tee, an uphill par three, and there were kind of some reeds around the outside of the tee, and we got up to the tee, and there was this small red dog standing on the tee who looked like kind of a mix between a dachshund and a fox. And he basically followed us. He jumped in our golf cart with us, where Ava and I are both dog people from the beginning of our time. And uh, he jumped in the cart. We played a couple holes. A couple of magical things happened in those two holes. And then we got to the ninth hole, which was an uphill par three. Uh, I pulled out a six iron, a five iron. It was about a 170-yard shot uphill. I pulled out a five iron. I hit it, kind of turned to Ava, and I went, that's in the hole. And she laughed, and uh, she hit her shot, and we got in the cart. And by now, the dog was sleeping in the golf cart with us. 
And we got up to the green, and I stayed there, and Ava said, uh, aren't you coming up? And I said, no, the ball's in the hole. And she said to me, you think so? And I said, honey, if the ball's in the hole, we're keeping the dog. And, of course, she went up to the green, and the ball was in the hole. And it's the only hole-in-one I've had wow. in 37 years of playing golf. So we called the dog Ace, and we had him for years. So I've always kind of been tied to that. Um, there's been numerous other examples of dogs being on golf courses. My wife, uh, as you know, but your listeners might not, is Swedish. And we go back to Sweden all the time. And whenever we play golf in Sweden, there are dogs on the golf course. They're always on a leash. Nobody rides carts. Everybody's walking. The dog will be tied uh, by a leash to the golf, the push cart. But they're all over the place. And to me, it's it's one of the great things. As you mentioned, St. Andrews, uh, Scotland is very welcoming to dogs on the course. Our good friend, Rue McDonald, Rue McDonald who's from Scottish Golf Podcast, has a fantastic dog named Mac. He just got a second one, too. Uh, and I've been out on the golf course with Rue and Mac. And I just think it adds something. You know, we're always talking about growing the game. It's always an issue that we all talk about. And I, for one, would love to see us get more into opening that part of the game up to where we look at it as being out and walking in the park. I'm not talking about dogs running wild and interrupting games, but if it's the kind of dog that can handle it and that people have a connection with, then uh, I'm all for it. I think it would add something that we don't have here in this country. And I think it could be a great, I know it's a great boon to those of us who love our animals, uh, but I think it would be really cool for the game too and open it up in a way that, that we seem to be close to, which really to me is sad. Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic idea, and you're right. It uh, it, it certainly brings a, a different aspect into the game of golf, and I, I think it I think it just makes the game feel warmer if you can you know yeah. involve more people, involve the anime. It just it just seems like a great idea. I hope hope someone listens, or we can po- you know post that stuff out on social media and <laughs> see if we can't get at least some of the municipal courses to allow us to start doing that sort of thing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. I'll help in any way I can. <laughs> And Mitch, you were recently over in Pinehurst, and I'm as jealous as I could possibly be because of some of the pictures and the things that uh, you were talking about over social media about your trip over there. Do you mind talking about some of the things you got to experience while you were over there? No, absolutely. I mean, I love it. You know, I'm fortunate, and you're not that far away either. You can make the trip, but I'm fortunate. It's about two hours and 15 minutes. So obviously, I've been in Pinehurst a lot. I played most of the courses there. Um, loving golf history the way I do and being a Hickory player, I I connect with Pinehurst in a deep way. Um, and the last trip we took, uh, Darren and I have both gotten to be big fans of a course called Tobacco Road, which is just outside the village of Pinehurst, but uh, was designed by one of our favorite architects, Mike Strand. And it's a course unlike any other that you'll find. It's very hard to describe it. Words don't do it justice, but it's a it's a big, uh, big golf course, incredibly visual. Uh, Mike Strands was an artist at heart, and he took this course in the sand hills and in quarry land, and it's just, it's unlike anything people have played. So Darren and I love going, and this time we managed to go, and Mark Stewart, who's the uh, one of the two owners of Tobacco Road, is a friend. And on the 14th hole um, of Tobacco Road, it's a downhill par three over a lake. Uh, 
beautiful spot. Um, and there was a kind of a cabin behind the green that for years was used by the family as a storage facility and just kind of a, just a cabin. Nobody really had lived there for a while. And recently Mark, um, decided to make it into a lodging for four people. And so Darren and my wife, Ava, and a friend of Darren's, Joe Sass, who's from Dallas, he's an air traffic controller, and the four of us went and we got to uh, stay at the cabin behind the 14th Green Tobacco Road. And uh, it's a phenomenal place. It is uh, the experience of being there. We've all gone to great destinations where they have incredible accommodations. But the Stewart Cabin, as it is called, um, is unlike anything I've ever been able to do, because at five o'clock, you, whoever's staying in that cabin literally has the run of the golf course. There's nobody else out there. Um, so you wow. get to stay there. You get to hang at night. They have a floodlight on the side of the house that lights up the green. Uh, we had putting contests at night. We hit shots from the tee onto the lit green. Just by the light of our cell phone, we would tee the ball up. And um, obviously, there were a few libations involved and uh, we just we <laughs> laughed and had fun and all the things that you love to do when you're around the game of golf. Then you wake up in the morning and at first light you go out and there's the green and you just go outside and you hang by the lake. And we each kind of experienced it in our own way. It was interesting. We would go sort of one by one. We'd kind of take 10, 15 minutes and go out, putt, chip, stand there, look at the lake, sit down, you know, whatever. And that's how you started your day. And it's a fantastic place. It's a great opportunity. Um, you can stay there and then play the other courses in the Pinehurst area. So we got to do that. We also got to go over to Pinehurst proper at the resort. And uh, we didn't play it because it, it was a couple days from opening. But we got to walk around and kind of experience the cradle, which is Gil Hans's short nine-hole course that they just opened right next to the clubhouse at the resort. And that is a fantastic, we talk about fun and opening the game up. This is one way to do it. And Gil Hans, who I know you know, and your listeners may, um, is kind of the architect of the moment. In addition to all the great architects we have, but Gil is the guy who designed the Olympic course in Rio and uh, Stream Song Black, which I was at last week, um, and just has done a ton of other work. But Gil designed this nine-hole short course and everything. It goes from 56 yards to 120 yards, the nine holes. Uh, you can play barefoot. Um, kids play for free. It's, it's a fantastic spot. So we got to experience that, and it was just kind of a new wrinkle to the Pinehurst experience. And I think everybody's really going to enjoy it. It's going to give Pinehurst a whole different mindset, which, as Gilhan said, is about fun. That's all he was interested in was creating a what he called the fun center of Pinehurst. So we got to do that. We actually um, talk about the Stewart Cabin, one of the upcoming episodes on uh, Talking Golf Getaways. We, did a, uh, we recorded a live podcast at the Stewart Cabin with Ava and Joe and Darren. And, I. and that's really fun, wow. just sitting in the dining room table at the cabin and talking about our experience there. So we've got that coming up. Are you jealous yet? Mm I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> Unbelievable. That sounds like an amazing experience. God knows. I'd love to, to see what that must be like. Well, we will get uh, Mitch, you there. One more. We'll, grab a couple other, we'll grab a couple other peoples, and the four of us will stay at the Stewart Cabin. 
<laughs> Dude, you don't have to ask me twice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You let me know when All I can right. start packing my bags. Okay, man. <laughs> Mitch, one more before I let you go. And you, you talked about some beautiful experiences here, but as, as you know, and, and you mentioned a moment ago, and we've talked about this before, but you play Hickory Shafted Clubs exclusively now. But I, I'm interested mm-hmm. to know if you feel an emotional connection when you're playing. And what I mean by that is when, when you're on some of the you know more historic golf course right and one's built like in the late 1800s or the early part of the 1900s do you take a minute or do you allow your mind to wander to get a sense for what it must have been like for guys like you know harry varden willie anderson walter hagen ted ray bobby jones to play the game because you're out there you're playing essentially the same equipment that they played including down to the golf ball and now you're playing on a golf course that they likely played or something very similar to what they played now you're really entrenched into the history part of the game. Do you feel that emotional connection probably more than the other guys? I feel it literally every time I hit a shot. That's the only way I can put it. Um, and I don't, uh, the, the classic courses, I've been lucky enough to play a lot in Scotland and Ireland. Uh, there's a whole bunch of classic courses in the States that I've been able to play. Uh, but even if it's not a classic course, even if I go out to it today, uh, that was built in the last three years. I don't know. We, I mean, I mentioned Gil Hans's stream song Black Horse down in Florida, um, and I, Darren and I played it last week, both of us with hickories, and I still feel that way because no matter when the course was built, uh, the connection to the history of the game is always with me because of the clubs I'm playing. So I don't care if it was built now. The history of the game that we all love is tied to the time when that's all that was played. I mean, the first clubs were long-nosed clubs, and then we moved into shorter clubs and irons and hickory shafts and all that, but uh, it is literally something that ties me to that part of the game every time I every time I take a swing, and no matter whether it turns out well or badly, <laughs> I'm always connected to it. I, I If you don't play them, uh, it's hard to explain that part of it. I was just literally, before I started talking to you, uh, online trying to buy a putter from the United Kingdom, uh, a James really? Braid putter. Yeah. And I'm online, I'm researching the club, this putter, when Braid made it, and and that to me. And then I go to Scotland and I play a course designed by James Braid. And, you know, those are the kind of connections to me at this point in my life when I'm not as interested in score and how far I hit it. That is what connects me to the game, for sure. Mitch, before we let you go, remind our listeners again how they can you know, catch your podcast and, uh, and stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's over social media. Well, I, I appreciate it all, Chris. I can't thank you enough for having me on again. I love talking to you. Um, the podcast, Talking Golf Getaways, if you're on a computer, you can listen to it on if you go to the Golf News Net or golfnewsnet.com, you'll find us. Um, Audio Boom, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes Podcasts, you can get hold of us. And there's a wealth. Like I said, there's 79 of them on there, but we're coming out with new ones. Um, starting, we started with the longest hole, and we've got a whole bunch coming up. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Mitch Lawrence. It's L A U R A N C E. Uh, and also you can follow Darren. He's got a ton of great stuff and he's at getaways golf on Twitter and at golf getaways on Instagram. 
So those are the various ways, and we're always putting things up. And um, now that we got season two rolling, we'll be putting a lot of stuff about the, up about the podcasts that are coming up. Well, Mitch, you're fantastic. I, you know, I could go on talking to you all night long. Uh, I just love your stories, and I love the way in which you frame things up, and the images that you paint, and the and the great things that you've had an opportunity to do. I hope you'll come back and and share more of them with me before too long, because, like I say, it's a, it's always a huge thrill for me to get to, to have you as part of the show. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, I know we're kind of backslapping each other here, but I feel the same way about you. I think you do an unbelievable uh, job, and you bring so much great information to people, and uh, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely. I Take care, Mitch. All the best to you and Eva and all the rest of your family. Again, thanks for being here. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Thanks. Likewise, pal. Talk to you.